we'll be thinking about the statement in that section about that underlines the centrality of preaching in worship. Uh, you may have never thought about this, but the furniture arrangement in a room can tell you a lot uh, where the focus of a household is. Um, if every chair in a house is oriented toward a TV and on the wall there is a bunch of Pittsburgh Steelers memorabilia, well, that, that tells you something. That tells you where the focus of that house is. And if it happens to be Dallas Cowboys memorabilia, then it tells you that there's something very wrong with the inhabitants of that house. Uh, if you find two chairs facing a TV with video game controllers, tells you something where the focus is and the orientation of a furniture of furniture in the church can tell us much about where the focus of a church is if you enter a church building and there's an altar at the center it tells you where the focus is if you come into a church and the center is a giant stage that tells you something about where the focus is and that is why in this room, there stands a very ordinary pulpit and under it a table. Um, it used to be in most Protestant and Reformed churches, the pulpit stood at the center. And in many cases, on it lay an open Bible and under it was a table that said, do this in remembrance of me. And that's no accident. That arrangement communicated that at the heart of worship is the scriptures and the preaching of the word of God. And the sacraments, as it were, are under the word. And to say it a different way, the, the sacraments are made understandable and intelligible by the preaching of the word. At the heart of worship throughout the history of the church was the preached word of God. The true church throughout history has been fed by the preaching of the word of God. Uh, if we look at the early church after Jesus' ascension, how did the church grow? In Acts chapter 2, Peter preached a sermon and the people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to the breaking of the bread. And as the church grew, we, we read in Acts 6 that the, the apostles began to be overwhelmed. And the, the church leaders, uh, or the apostles, as they found themselves distracted, said that it is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve tables. And they appointed deacons, of course, to serve people, but also to free up the apostles that they might devote themselves to prayer and the preaching of the word. That was the central activity of the early church. It was the way the church grew and was nourished and was taught. And that is why today, at the heart of our worship, is the preached word. This has always been the priority of the true church. And 
despite what you may think, it's not because ministers just like to get up and talk. Um, in, in fact, it would maybe surprise you, maybe not surprise you, how many ministers spend the week in Lord's Day morning wishing that it be someone else, anyone else but them, to get up and preach the Word. This activity has a theological foundation, and yet throughout history, we see the church struggle to maintain the centrality of the preaching of the Word. And without exception, whenever the preached Word is neglected or forsaken, the church withers, darkness falls on a church, and eventually on a nation. And this is especially relevant to us today. We may very much be entering into a new dark age when the church loses the centrality of the preaching of the Word of God. Christians today know very little of the Bible. And that is partly because the centrality of preaching has been lost. And I think we need to remember that we do have a biblical basis for doing what we do in worship. We must strive in the Spirit's power to maintain a ministry that is centered on the Word of God and the proclamation of it. I probably don't need to do this, but I feel the need to maybe qualify what I'm going to say because I often worry that the preacher talking about preaching can come across like a car salesman talking about how great cars are. But I think you know that this is different, that preaching is something different, that God makes it clear that the power of preaching resides not in the preacher, that the Bible underlines that preaching is the Spirit working by and with His Word to cause us to hear the voice of our prophet Jesus Christ. And so we can't hear this as a glorification of the preacher. We can have the highest view of preaching without glorifying a man. And I, I love how Paul framed it to the Corinthians. He says, ministers are merely servants, tools in the hands of God. We don't glorify a carpenter's hammer. We don't glorify the tool, we glorify the master carpenter. And he, he goes on to say, he said, it doesn't matter if it's me or if it's Apollos or if it's another minister, God is the one who speaks and gives the growth. You see, God has designed his people to grow under a steady, consistent, weekly diet of the proclamation of the Word of God, exposition, application of the Scriptures by an ordained servant. We are a people that week by week are to be fed by the Word of God. And what this chapter of the Confession underlines is the biblical truth that Preaching is the God-ordained primary means of grace under which we grow. 
It's not an invention of the church, but it's a commission that we have received from Christ. And that means we cannot forsake this commission. In fact, having received it, the only thing we can do is obey it. One writer put it this way. He said, preaching is the primary decisive function of the church. It's a means by which God communicates to us, by which he demonstrates his love and his grace, by which he reveals himself more and more to us. The Bible teaches that the preached word is the primary means by which we are saved and sanctified. It's the primary way in which we are fed and nourished by Christ himself. And the shorter catechism here is helpful uh, it asks, how is the word made effectual to salvation? And the answer is the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. And this has always been the case in the church, even when we look to the Old Testament. We may not think of it this way, but you look at men like Moses. Moses preached the Word of God. Even Aaron preached the Word of God. In 2 Kings 23, Josiah took the scroll, the word of God, and he read it in the hearing of the people, and there was a great revival that came about because of that. The word of God has always been the foundation for the people of God. You think of Psalm 119, that lengthy psalm, 176 verses. When we think about it, when when the psalmist sat down to write 176 verses, he didn't write it about the sacrifices. He didn't write it about temple. He didn't write it about the priests. He wrote about the Word of God. And we see this proclamation or preaching of the Word most clearly in the Old Testament prophets. 17 of the Old Testament books are are classified as prophetic books. And that's not including prophets like Moses and Samuel and Nathan and Elijah and Elisha. When we look at the Old Testament, we see a prophetic ministry lies at the heart of the Old Testament. And what was the main task of a prophet? To preach to proclaim the word of God, to preach salvation in the coming Messiah. And then we move to the New Testament and we see the same pattern. Uh, John the Baptist's preaching ministry really prepared the way for Jesus' preaching ministry. In Mark 1.4, we read that John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. In Matthew 10, 7, Jesus sent out his disciples on a mission, and what was their main task? To preach. 
He said, go and preach as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And before his ascension, his parting words to his disciples contained a commission to teach or preach, promising them that in that activity of preaching, that he would be present with them. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We read from 2 Timothy, where Paul Some of his last words at the end of his life, he left his son in the faith, Timothy, with that solemn charge to preach the word. Is a God-instituted means of grace, means to build us up. And as we look at the history of the church, we see that wherever you find a thriving church, a faithful church, a Christ-centered church, You find a church that is above all devoted to the preaching of the word. And Jesus foretold this. He he foretold the preaching ministry of the church in Matthew 24, 14, when he said the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed or preached throughout the whole world. And we can... I think easily forget, and it's even easy for us as, as pastors to forget, that some of the great theologians throughout history, I think first and foremost, would have considered themselves preachers. If we look to what is called the patristic era, the era of the church fathers, we see men like John Chrysostom, and that. I don't know if that was his real name or not, or a nickname, but Chrysostom means with golden mouth. He was devoted to preaching. In Antioch, in Constantinople, he was devoted to preaching. The the great uh, North African theologian Augustine of Hippo was a devoted and powerful preacher. And even when we get into the the medieval era, which in many ways is is marked by error and darkness in the church, if we look hard, what we see is a true church committed to preaching. Bernard of Clairvaux, a French theologian, a devoted preacher. And if you read Uh, If you read Bernard's writings, you would think you were reading from John Calvin. St. Francis of Assisi, he became very concerned at the darkness in the church and that people didn't know the word of God. They didn't know the gospel. And so he founded an order of traveling preachers that became known as the Franciscans. And they went out with the gospel, preaching in the towns and villages of Europe. Thomas Aquinas, a well-known scholastic theologian, but he was also a powerful and committed preacher. 
And as we come into the Reformation era and we, we see the light of the gospel begin to shine more brightly, why did that happen? It's because men like Martin Bucer, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, these men were devoted to the preaching of the Word of God. And we even look, if we look to the modern era, when we see the church revived and grow, it's through the ministry, the preaching ministry of men like Jonathan Edwards, Charles Spurgeon, Martin Lloyd-Jones. This is the means that Christ calls His church to. We're not free to divert from it, to say, well, that really doesn't work in this day and age. Jesus says, I am with you, and it will work in this day and age. And I want to go ahead and end there this afternoon, but if you're taking notes, what I want to come back to next week is think about how we are so dependent upon the preached word as the church, and yet how easily it is for us to become diverted from it. And when we're diverted from it, then the church becomes deprived of the word and she suffers. And then finally, I hope to take some time to think about how our Lord Jesus Christ through His Spirit, is really the preeminent preacher. And it is ultimately His voice that, that we get to hear um, in the ministry of the Word. Let's pray together. Lord, we, we thank You for the privilege of being able to assemble in Your presence. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You that... Lord, you are faithful to use it to sanctify us, to change us, to bring us closer to our Savior. Lord, we pray that, Lord, you would make us good hearers of the word, and that we would be transformed, we would grow in, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we may do so for his glory. We pray in his name. Amen.